So, hey, any control freaks in the room today? Yeah, a couple, a couple. My sound man's a control freak, so watch out, because if I start saying stuff he doesn't like, if you can't hear me, it's his fault, not mine. But, you know, we like to control things. Have you ever been in a situation where there was something that you definitely did not want to do, and then someone said, you can't do that thing? What happened? Because they told you that you couldn't do that thing. All of a sudden, that thing is the only thing that you wanted to do. Am I right? Because we don't like to be controlled. We like to be in control. And when you think about that, we like to control our circumstances, our situations, and other people. But what is the hardest thing for us to control? Ourself. Ourself. It's a whole lot easier to control circumstances, situations, and even other people than it is to control ourselves. And that's what James is actually going to be speaking into today. He says this. He said, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves. Now, there's some words missing there, and we'll get to those a little bit later. But he says, you'd have to be perfect, and then you would be able to control yourself. We are wrapping up our series today called Living Faith, and we've covered a ton of ground. So I'm going to just recap real quickly for you where we've been on this journey. In the first week, we discussed the question, is there a purpose in my pain? And we talked about the fact that troubles and trials come into our lives, and they can be for our good. They can grow us and mold us and make us who God wants us to be. Then we looked at the second week, Pastor Justin talked about staring down temptation, and we learned that God does not send temptation, and how we can resist temptation is to be praying in the Word, meditating on Scripture and and, uh, music and things like that. Then Pastor Deanna gave us practice makes perfect, which means that when we see what we should do, we actually need to do it. And she talked about fixing ourselves before we try to fix others. Remember that whole controlling thing? We can control our others, but we can't control ourselves. Back to that in a minute. Then, a couple weeks ago, we talked about who's your favorite. We talked about favoritism and the fact that we need to love people who are not like us. And we need to embrace them and show them the love of Christ. And then, last week, we talked about the fact that our faith, that is only declared, only defended, is actually useless, but faith has to be demonstrated. And we wrapped that up with a challenge. We kicked off a campaign to warm up Wyndham. So I don't know if you've seen all the coats. Through the week, the coat rack was falling apart because there's so many coats. and There's coats on the floor and everything. We cleaned all that up today for those that are in the building. And we've got new racks out there, more coat hangers. So bring your coats. Leave your coat today. If you didn't bring one to leave, leave the one you got on. Actually, it's cold outside. If you get sick, don't blame me. And then next week is the last week, so make sure you bring those coats uh, for, for next week. Now, if you missed any of these messages, you can go to our app, go to our website, go to our YouTube channel and catch up and like that, share that, subscribe to that. In fact, if you're watching online right now, share what you're watching online to all your friends. Invite them in because there's good stuff here that's going to help you in your faith journey. Now, I want you to finish this statement for me, okay? Sticks and stones may break my bones. But names, okay, it's, uh, I've heard it another way too. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I've heard it, but words will never hurt me. And I actually did some research, and that was the original when names came a little bit later. 
How many of you think this statement is true? How many of you think it's a load of rubbish? Amen, hallelujah, praise God. Okay, that's good. How many of you were taught this as a kid or said this as a kid? How many of you have actually used this when someone was picking on you or bullying you or something? Right? And when you said it, were you masking the deep pain that you were feeling while you said that? Of course you were, because our words are powerful. Today we pick up where we left off last week, and after James had uh, give, issued the challenge about faith being useless, now he's going to launch into a challenge about why our words matter. Words matter. The words we say, the words we type, our words matter matter. When it comes to living out your faith, James is going to contend today that one of the greatest exposers of whether your faith is genuine or not is what comes out of your mouth, what comes out of your keyboard, all those things. Your words matter. James has already mentioned our words a few times. In James chapter 1 verse 19, he says, you must all be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to get angry. And then in verse 26, he says, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. And then in chapter two, he says, so whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. James talks about our words a lot. And he's gonna talk about them in chapter four and again in chapter five. But here in this section, he's doing a deep dive into the power of, of our words. In this passage, he's doubling down, we might say, and he starts it out by saying this, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, we're just going to move on past that one today, right? Yeah, yeah. Those, you should not desire to become teachers because you're going to be judged more strictly, James says. You know, when James is writing, this is the early church. And before the church, when the rabbis would teach in the synagogues, those were very prestigious, powerful positions. So that had leaked into the church as well. The ones that got to teach, it was seen as a position that was esteemed and it was powerful and it was something that they were aspiring to. And James is actually calling that out. James is saying simply that too many of you or wanting to do that so that you can get up and speak and show off. And that's not what it's all about. You know, as I've been in ministry now for close to 30 years or something like that, I've seen this play out many times where people will aspire to wanting to be the teacher, wanting to be the preacher and things like that. And they don't understand the seriousness of this verse. And they don't take it that seriously. I've seen people being given opportunities when they're not gifted, not called, and they, it becomes pretty evident pretty quickly that they shouldn't be up there. And I've actually had somebody tell me one time, well, your job's easy. All you got to do is get up there, read a verse, and say a few things. <laughs> Clearly, that person had never spoken before like this. It is hard work. And can I just want to let you behind the scenes a little bit. We take this very seriously at WBC. We value this and we, we want to make sure that we are not just 
lightly putting people up to speak because they want to or think that, you know, they're, they're great car park attendant, let them talk, you know, that kind of thing. Not that car park attendants couldn't end up being great teachers or whatever, but we take this extremely seriously. James says it's something that you should not aspire to. If you do, feel the call. You need to treat that with great respect and even great fear. Those who carry this calling will be judged more harshly because of the influence that they carry. Now, some of you are sitting there right now thinking, oh, okay, I don't have to worry about this today. (sighs) This is about people that want to teach and preachers and things like that. Hang on. Verse 2. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Okay, now you're not off the hook anymore. It says we all make mistakes in many ways. So it's not just for teachers. One of the main ways that we stumble in life, one of the main ways that we fall over is with the words that we say. He identifies this as the hardest thing to control. He says, if you could control your tongue, if you could control the words that you say, then you would be able to control your whole body. Reminds me of uh, Mr. Miyagi. Uh, Remember the karate kid, right? right? He said, man who catch fly with chopstick, accomplish anything. James says, man or woman who can control the words that come out of their mouth or out of their fingertips on their keyboards can accomplish anything. This is serious stuff. And James says, your words are so powerful, you don't even realize it. And he loves to use illustrations. That's one thing I love about James. He says this in uh, verse three. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. Anybody ride horses ever? Yeah, I've rode horses a few times. And I'm gonna tell you, I I find it extremely scary. The main thing is getting on it. Because when I show up and they look at me, guess which horse I get? Yeah, the smallest one, right? That's what you were thinking, right? No, no I get the biggest horse. And you got to climb up on that thing and everything and the saddles and all that. But then the horse might want to go faster than I want it to. And I learned really quick that I got these things in my hand that are attached to the bit in its mouth. And all I got to do is go, and it stops. Yeah, and I'm mean to the horse. Yes, I know, because I pull too hard and you know, if I wanted to turn... I'm amazed how easy it is to control that big animal with that little bit that's in its mouth. Then James goes on, give another illustration. He says, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. Even in the midst of a storm, the rudder guides the ship. It's a large ship and a comparatively very small rudder that guides it. When I was 12 years old, I was in Boy Scouts, and my uncle was the scoutmaster. And I was a little kid. He was as big as I am. And uh, we went canoeing. And it was a multi-day trip. And on the first day of the trip, for some reason, he was in my canoe. And for some reason, he wanted to be in the front and had me in the back. He's the big guy. I'm a little guy, and I'm in the back. And we'd done some training. We knew how to turn the canoe because you use your paddle as a, as a rudder, Right? Anybody canoe, right? Kayak? That's... Come on, guys. Do you not get out? So anyway, so we're going down, down the river. And like 
three or four or 20 times. I kept guiding us near the bank and then low overhanging branches. And he kept getting those branches in his face. And after a while, we did that one more time, and he took his wooden canoe paddle and slammed it against the branch and broke it. Now, that did us a lot of good, didn't it? And he may or may not have swore when he did that. Um, and I blamed him for being the big guy. You're too big for me to turn. But you know what was really going on? I wasn't that skilled in how to use the rudder. Interestingly, you think about the bit and the rudder that guide the ship and guide the horse. Are they doing it by themselves? No. The rider and the captain is actually in control. And it's their skill at using that tool that guides the trip, so, uh, guides the ship and guides the horse. Someone has to be in control of that. Look what James says then. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. What we are learning here through those illustrations and through what he says about our words is, that, is this. Words have the power to direct. Words have the power to direct. The tongue is the same as a rudder. It's the same as the bit. It's small, but it has great influence. It can control things. The power of words is one of the greatest powers God gave us. It is the power to influence people. It directs our lives and the lives of those that we have influence with. Just as the bit determines the direction of the horse and the rudder determines the direction of the ship, our words determine the direction of our lives and often the lives of people that are close to us. And maybe even not so close to us, could be millions of miles away while we're typing. We have great influence with our words. Marketing companies understand this. That's why they hire marketing experts because they can manipulate words and make things say things that are gonna draw us in and influence us and direct us, right? That's what social media is all about. That's why the algorithms are always changing and things because they're trying to figure out how to direct you, how to manipulate things so that you will follow what they want. Question for you today, who do you have influence with? Who do you have influence over? Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your parents. Family is, everyone influences everyone in a family. But who do you give direction to? Work colleagues. Maybe you're responsible for some people at your job. Who looks up to you? Who comes to you for advice and counsel? When you realize the people actually act on things that you say, it's a very humbling thing. I cannot tell you the number of times people say, oh, you said this two years ago, and I did this in my life, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I hope it was an okay thing. It's humbling, and it's a bit scary. We should enter that with fear. But just like the rudder and the bit, the captain and the rider are in control of that, who's in control of your words? Well, you might think right away, oh, I am. I'm in control of my words. And to a degree, you are. But it's something inside of you. The Holy Spirit living in you controls your words. See, David said in Psalm chapter 141, take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. David knew that if he was left in control just by himself, to do it by himself, that wouldn't end well. So he says, Lord, I'm giving 
you my words. I'm giving you my lips. Please guard them because I know how dangerous they can be. If you are a person of influence, you need to exercise great care in the things that you say because people are listening and they will respond. Never underestimate the guidance that your words have. James goes on. He says, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. James says the tongue has the power to direct. And then illustratively talking about fire, he says the tongue has the power to destroy. It can direct or it can destroy. Directing is not always positive. That can be negative. Destroying is always negative. Fire burns and hurts. Many of you would have known people who were victims in the Black Saturday fires many, many years ago, about 15 years ago now, I think it is. You know the power of fire. It burns and it leaves a destructive pathway. It spreads fast. And James says a tiny spark can start a forest fire. But did you see what he said about the tongue? The tongue is more than a tiny spark. It is a flame of fire. So if a spark can start a forest fire, then a flaming fire is going to spread even faster and do more damage. What kind of words is James talking about when he talks about the words that we say are like a fire and uh, they can direct, they can destroy? He tells us a couple of times in the book of James, he's talking about criticism. He's talking about judgmentalism. But I would suggest to you that, again, he's speaking to Jewish believers, and they would have understood all the times in the book of Proverbs that the tongue is talked about. In words in Proverbs, we talk about lying and gossiping, thoughtless and careless speaking, too much speaking, and the list could go on and on and on. Our words, just like fire, they hurt and they burn. Words spoken to people can create deep wounds that last a lifetime. They can shape people, especially true with children. Children that maybe in a a moment were told that they were useless or they were worthless or something like that. And then they've carried that with them the rest of their life. Our words spread. You can't get them back once you've said them. And that's sad because James already told us you can't control them. They're gonna come out. Scientists tell us that The sound waves go on forever. And if we had the equipment to capture those, then you would be able to reproduce them forever and ever and ever. And as long as the world was in existence, they never stop. Our words are powerful. God tells us dozens of times in the pages of Scripture about the power of our words and warns us how we use them. We know that experientially in our own lives. When people say something, it can either build us up or it can rip us apart and destroy us. People have said things that either affirm or condemn you, and it's had a significant impact. And because we love families, we love kids, I want to talk about this for for a moment, just from a how this affects our children perspective. And if you don't have children, you do have relationships with children and influence over children. So please don't tune out. 
The words we say to our kids mold them and make them. And our words can either build them up or tear them down. Statistics tell us that a child hears one word of affirmation for every seven words of criticism or condemnation. Do you think they can overcome that easily? Kids remember what you say and how it made them feel when you said it. You know, kids also remember what we don't say. In my early days of ministry, I was uh, a youth pastor, associate pastor in charge of the youth and that. And one of the, the teenagers told me one day, he said, I just want to hear my dad say, I'm proud of you. And his dad was the pastor. That's sad. That's sad. Not that because he's the pastor, he should have any more responsibility than all of us do to be speaking words of life into our children. Many kids will say, I've never, ever one time in my life been told I love you. That's sad. That's sad. It's a challenge for all of us to speak words of affirmations to the kids in our realm of influence. You see a kid running around today, don't be annoyed. Speak affirmation into them. They're here, praise God. And we want them to be here for the next 50 years. Help balance out all the negative words that they hear, the words of criticism, the words of belittlement that they hear, maybe at home, maybe at school, maybe from peers. You be different than that. Use your words to build up. Our words are like fire and they're destructive if they're not used carefully. And I, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't really double down and emphasize again. It's not just words that come out of our mouth. It's words that come out of our, our, our news feed, right? And our likes and our follows and all that kind of stuff that we, that, that we do it reveals a lot about us. Because people, for some weird reason, they think that saying something online in a chat or, or on their, their walls or whatever isn't the same as saying it out loud because they would never say it out loud. But they put it out there and guess what? It's out there and it spreads faster and faster. You know, and by the way, if, you're, if somebody's looking for a job, any job seekers, don't raise your hand because I'm about to embarrass you. You know what employers do when they're checking you out? They go and they check you out and it's easy. And they can say, wow, yeah, do I want that person in our culture? Are they going to fit in her culture? Or, but you see, they see the words that you say and the positions that you take that you have to tell everyone about. Anyway, I'm sorry, that's a whole other message. I need to stop that. <sighs> Online place is not a place that's different. It's not an alternate reality. Words matter. James then goes on and says this, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless, it is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Our words are like dangerous animals. They're restless and evil. You know, an animal, a dangerous animal will seek their prey. When they find it, they pounce on it. That's the illustration here. Our words are like that. They seek their prey and then they pounce on it. You ever meet people that are sitting there in a conversation just looking for the opportunity to throw a barb in? Have you ever been that person? Yeah, we need to be careful with our words. Words matter. Lots of bad news here today about our words. Some may ask, if words are so powerful and they're so destructive, why would God even give us a tongue? 
Anybody wonder that? I wondered that while I was preparing this week. It's like, man, if they're so powerful and can be so damaging, why? Verse 9. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. That's why. And sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Words have the power to also delight. That's the good thing about the danger and the negativity about the power of the tongue is there's a corollary truth that it also has the power to delight. And James points that out here. Positive words can affirm and build up. And then he says, you're praising God one minute, you're coming to the worship service at 10 a.m. and you're singing the songs and your hands are in the air and then you're going out over to the mall for lunch and somebody cuts in front of you in line, you're, you're cursing them out. He says, that's not right. The way we treat people, it's inconsistent. He's saying uh, that, that these things should not be. Not only that, he's saying that your living faith is not being shown. Look at this, look at this. He says, it's a test of your faith. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. He's saying, what you're doing when you praise God and you curse people, and he's not just saying cursing people by swearing at them. He's saying when you speak negatively, when you try to destroy people with your words, those things. When you're doing both of those things, that's inconsistent and you're not living out your faith. I would question, James is saying, whether you have a living faith. Because words are the revealer of our faith. You know why? Because words come from our heart. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. And I've got, I've got to read this straight from the Bible because it is so, so powerful, guys. It says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Wow! And those of you who think the Bible's boring, you should read the Bible. There's good stuff in there. Too many words leads to sin. So be sensible. Keep your mouth shut. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 15. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. What is in your heart comes out of your mouth or comes out of your fingers on your keyboard. That's where it originates. So it's, it's a words problem, but it goes way deeper than that. It's a heart problem when we don't control our tongue. We need to guard our hearts, and we need help with this. Writing to believers in Philippi, the Apostle Paul is telling them that the peace of God will guard their hearts and their minds. And then he goes on and says this, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And if your thoughts are on these things, then that is going to create a filter for what comes out of your mouth. Whatever things are True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Does your speech reflect that these are the things that you're thinking about? Words are powerful. They can direct, they can destroy, or they can delight. How will you choose to use your words today? 
I'm going to give you a little bit of help. I'm going to give you a few words. It's kind of a starter kit for controlling the things we say. Now, these words are simple, and you are not going to be impressed when you see them because they're common, but they're rare. You understand what that means? You can think, oh, yeah, that, that, those words are common. But I would suggest to you, in our society today, in our culture today, in our families today, in our church today, they can be far too rare. You ready for the words? These are our words for impact and influence. Please and thank you. I told you you weren't going to be impressed. But if someone asks you to do something, how do you feel if they say, please? And it's coming from their heart. You can tell that they're really genuine in asking that. Or how many times have you done something and no one said, thank you? How do you feel when they do say thank you? Well, you Australians, you, I, I'm Australian, by the way, but that we Australians, I'll say, because I'm a transplanted and converted and all that. But when someone says thank you, what do we do? It's all right. It's all right. We dismiss the thank yous, don't we? But in here, it does something to us. Yeah, it makes us feel better. So we can say please and thank you. We can also say, this is a big one, I am sorry. When we say, I'm sorry, we're breaking down walls. We're breaking down barriers. We're showing humility. We're showing that, you know what, I messed up. And I'm actually genuinely sorry because I see how maybe it was a word I said that hurt you. And I am sorry. I'm going to use my words to try to rebuild that into you. Here's a big one. I love you. I love you values people, shows that you, you care about them. And saying I love you declares something. If we understand what love is, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says love is patient. We're declaring when we say I love you, we're saying I will be patient with you. It says love is kind. When we say I love you, we're saying I'm going to be kind to you. Love does not envy. When I say I love you, I'm saying I'm not going to envy you. I'm not going to be proud. I'm not going to be boastful. I'm not going to be dishonest. I'm not going to dishonor you. I'm not going to seek self. I'm not going to get angry easily. I'm not going to keep a record of wrongs that you've done to me. I'm not going to delight in evil but rejoice in the truth when it's concerning you. And I'm always going to protect you and trust you. I'm always going to hope for you. I'm always going to persevere. And I am never going to fail you. Because that's what love does. You thought it was just three simple words. But when you speak those three simple words to people, if it's coming from your heart, that's really what it means if it's genuine love. And it, th those three can be used by anybody. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to give you one more. One more phrase that you can say. I'm praying for you. Sometimes... People be hurting. People's lives might be seemingly destroyed at the moment. And knowing that you're praying for them. If you are, don't say it if you're not going to do it. But knowing that prayer is powerful. And you have a time with God that you actually talk to God about things that are important. And telling the people around you that, hey, you're important enough that I'm going to pray for you. What does that do to them? Does that encourage them? You know, we, we usually say, oh, I can't do anything, but I, I guess I can pray for you. It's the most important thing we can do for people. And if it comes from a heart of genuine love for them and love for God, 
that prayer is going to mean the world to them. It's pretty simple. Some of you, after you see these simple words, I told you it wasn't, it wasn't complex. And you, you, you may be sitting there thinking, oh, it's so easy. But is it? Some of you need to do some work with these words today. Some of you, there are people in your life that you need to go say thank you to. If you're going to ask somebody something, you need to remember to say please. There are people that you're thinking about right now that you need to go say sorry to. There are people that desperately need to know that you love them. And people need to know that you're praying for them. As you go out today, I would encourage you to consider those 12 words. They're small, but they're powerful. And remember this. Sticks and stones may break my bones. But words last forever. Father, thank you for your word that is eternal. Thank you for the challenge that James gives us today. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us. Lord, we say sorry for the times we use our words to direct people wrongly, certainly to destroy people. Lord, we're sorry for the times when our words should be used for delight as we're praising you, but then we use them to cut down other people. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to take on board just some simple things that will allow us to use our words to build people up, to bring you glory, and to see people who are thriving because a few simple words made a difference in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.